0: Welcome back to Unarma Talk Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and watching each episode. And continue, please, to share with your friends and family members and colleagues. And don't forget to leave a rating or review if you feel this is an awesome show. And you can connect to all of my social media on the Parade Deck. Just look in the show notes, or you can put in the search engine, Mario P. Fields Parade Deck, and get all access to my social media. Well, let's get ready to interview another guest who is willing to remove their armor to help other people. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Unarmored Talk podcast. I'm your host, Mario P. Fields. And today's amazing guest who's willing to remove her armor to help other people is Dr. Jennifer Stelter. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: No, I appreciate you. She's super busy, guys, saving the world. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm excited to get on the show for about, uh, you know, about 15, 20 minutes. But before we get to our wonderful guests, thank you, everyone, for supporting our show. As we quickly, um, we're approaching three years, three years and running. Over 700, almost 800 cities. Uh, the audio has been downloaded in 37 countries. And uh, if you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, or if you are, YouTube has created a tab for podcasters so now all of the video is on my youtube channel under the podcast tab for unarmored talk videos so get on there keep sharing keep watching truly appreciate it and every time you share or watch a video it generates funds my youtube channel is monetized and it's for charity and every penny goes to still serving incorporated and last but not least thank you to our channel members your monthly contributions have been making a difference. Again, on our website, check out some of those pictures and making an impact on tomorrow's professionals. Okay, I'm done. Done with all that admin. Done with all that stuff from the heart. Dr. Stelter, can you please tell the listeners and viewers just a little bit about yourself? But before you do, ladies and gentlemen, she's an author. She's everything, an author, a clinical psychologist, and more. So I just want you guys to know that before she begins. Over to you, Doctor Stelter.
1: Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it. And so, uh, just a little bit about me. You know, I um, my journey is a little bit different than a lot of people in my psychology career. You know, I thought when I went to school, you know, I would you know get out of school, I would open up a practice, I would you know have a couch and a chair, and that would be it, right? But it didn't go that way actually. Um, and My journey is a little bit different as I'm now in dementia care, which is interesting uh, for a lot of psychologists. They don't necessarily go into that realm. I spent the first half of my career in mental health, and then my now in my second half of my career uh, working with those living with dementia. Um, and so, you know, for me, you know, most people when they wind up in this field, they usually have someone that they know who's developed the disease. And it actually was reversed for me. I actually wanted to get into dementia care. And then unfortunately, one of my grandmother-in-laws actually was diagnosed and has passed away with Alzheimer's disease. So I was able to be an asset to the family, which I'm really grateful for, um, and having all this knowledge and expertise in it. Um, And so, you know, for me, it was uh, certainly trying to embark upon something that I thought I could really make a difference from my own journey and it it kind of uh, made shape, you know, through being able to give back in, in mental health and then now giving back in dementia care. So that's a little bit about myself in terms of what uh, my, my journey has been.
0: Yeah. And, and and let's talk a little bit about your book that you authored. And ladies and gentlemen, once you guys hear a book, and it'll be in the show notes, go out and get a copy. It's Dr. Stelter. Come on.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the book is called The Busy Caregiver's Guide to Advance Alzheimer's Disease. It was published by Johns Hopkins. Uh, In 2021. And it really is a guide to help all kinds of caregivers. So family caregivers, those who work in senior living who are on the front lines every day. It really is a, a nice workbook that can provide you so many tools to be able to feel confident and competent in what you do when working with and or caring for those living with dementia. And so it's nice because it it you walk away with this toolbox, you know, is what we always talk about at the the Dementia Connection Institute. Get your toolbox, right? And you have to fill it because you don't know if especially if you work in senior care, there's all kinds of folks that you're going to be caring for. And if you are caring for that person at home, you know them a little bit better so you know what tools should go in that box, right? But it's important to have a plethora at your fingertips so you are armored, you know, not to, not to just take away your your name of your podcast, right? You are armored with the ability to care for that person no matter what happens. Um, and so that's really what my mission is and in, in working with people with dementia is to help people understand the disease and fill their toolbox so they feel confident and confident in what they're doing.
0: Yeah, and so let's just jump right into the topic and thank you for being such a caring, you, you know, professional in person in in helping people with you know severe challenges uh, especially as it impacts their brain uh, but let's jump into the topic you mentioned two words confidence and competent and as i've gotten to know you over the past few months you just seem like a i mean you seem like a very competent and confident <laughs> professional but it wasn't always like that what happened from my basic understanding in high school? I want to say.
1: Yes, absolutely. So this is me really unarmoring myself, and for those that have followed me on social media, have heard a little bit about my story. But um, my story didn't, you know, just come, you know, where I just woke up one day and said, "I want to be a psychologist." Right? Um, it actually was because I went on my own mental health journey, and I actually started in high school, Mario. Like you said, you know, so in high school. I started to experience a lot of just disturbing emotions for myself. You know, I think a lot of high school kids go through this awkward time of first puberty, and then they're going through, you know, learning about yourself as a as a growing woman or a growing man, and you are um dating, you know. Um, I'll use that word loosely dating, right? In high school, and you're trying to make lifelong friends, figure out what you're going to do with your life, right? Because you're deciding what you're going to do after high school. And, you know, for me, in my high school years, I had a fairly normal childhood, you know, I I can't, I can't complain about any of that. My parents were great. You know, they're, they're not perfect, like every parents, but, you know, I had a fairly normal childhood. Um, And so in high school, I started to really just not like myself. Mm. And, I remember looking at myself one day. This is where it really started. I remember so vividly. I remember looking at myself. I looked down at my body and I said, God, you are fat. Wow. And I remember that just so much because that was the start of my eating disorder.
0: And what what grade were you in?
1: I was, let's see, I was a senior in high school, actually.
0: So so senior in high school when that happened.
1: Yeah, but previous to that, I always experienced some depression on and off, you know, growing up, I was a little bit chunkier than my friends, my best friend, you know, I was never the girl that was looked at, I was the always just the friend, right. And so I kind of played that role and, um, but was never really happy, you know, I remember my happiest when I was a, a really young girl, right before I got into like middle school and high school. But when I started to really discover my body, I wasn't happy with it didn't know what any of that meant. So, but I, I, you know, I was, uh, had a lot of kind of depression, setting in sadness, you know, that kind of stuff. And when I started to um, develop my eating disorder in my senior year, it was really started off something where I didn't even know what it was. You know, I, I you know, started to restrict on eating. I was exercising a lot and I was gaining control in my, in my world, right? It's, it's a false sense of control knowing that now. But I was trying to control my surroundings. I was trying to control my family life. You know, again, my, my family wasn't perfect. My dad, you know, he uh, loved drinking. And so, you know, he was what we call a functional alcoholic, right? He would go to work and he would come home. He would have his drinks, you know, those kinds of things, nothing ever serious came of it. Like, it's not as if, you know, we had a disturbing childhood because of it, but we noticed that a lot, you know, and he drank in excess. And so, you know, it was, it was trying to gain control over that. I was trying to gain control over uh, my boyfriend at the time. He was not the nicest to me and I was not confident and confident enough to walk away from that. I took it. And so, you know, it was trying to gain control over that. And so, for me, it was just filtering that into a, an, an area where I felt like I was gaining control. Right. And then it started to really develop into uh, what's called obsessive compulsive disorder. So I started to have a lot of obsessive compulsive types of experiences where I would have like these anxious thoughts. And when I would do certain things and a lot of it revolved around food, so it kind of masked into the eating disorder um when i would do things around food it would lower my anxiety so whether it be checking certain things or it be counting to a certain number or switching on and off between certain things and then really trying to control the food that made me feel better so again another false sense of control now mind you when you look at my familial history um you know i do have a cousin who had an eating disorder I do have um you know family members who've had OCD who've had depression so some of it is biological in nature but definitely is contributed through environmental which is what we learn in psychology is yeah. that it can be biological it can be environmental it could be a combination of both you know so looking back and of course learning about psychology in my schooling I learned that that's you know probably where it came from and so so,
0: we, so when ahead. you and, and I was just thinking in powerful we and so when you, you know, when you had that moment, Dr. Stelter, um, when you looked in the mirror as a senior and you said, I am, I don't love me, right? I'm not happy with what I see. And, and you started to control things around you, the type food. Was there any goal, like did you have a, an imagination of what you wanted to look like? A person, something, someone, did you have a vision of what you wanted your body to look like?
1: Um, I would say in parts, if that makes sense. I remember looking at parts of my body and being like, I don't like the way my thighs look. I don't like the way my stomach looks. And then I would look at other girls and I'd be like, gosh, I just wish I had those legs or that stomach or something like that. But it wasn't a particular person. It just was parts of myself I was unhappy with. And as my eating disorder progressed, I started to see those results, so of course it's reinforcing, right? It's I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, right? I'm getting what the results that I'm looking for. But it was such a mental, like just ah, oh, it just was so you know intrusive, and it got out of control. It really did. And so you know, graduating high school and going into community college at the time, um, I stayed local. And, you know, of course, there in like the traditional eating disorder realm, I got straight A's in, in, um, uh, in, uh, sorry, in the, you know, post, post high school, you yeah. know, right. and from there, I joined every single club and was vice president or president, which that's very common with people with eating disorders, they, they strive for perfection and everything.
0: Wow, well, I never would have known that.
1: Mm-hmm. yes
0: so that's an indicator it could indicator
1: be. huge yeah mm-hmm. and so checking all those boxes you know that was there as well and it, you know I, I lost a lot of weight I my lowest weight was 92 pounds when I actually was weighing myself and things like that it may have gone a little lower in some of the darker darker times mm-hmm. um, but I remember at that time you know my mom didn't know what to do My my father didn't know what to do and they didn't say a lot because back then people didn't know about those kinds of mental health disorders. I mean, they were there, but they weren't talked about. It was still, of course, mental illness at that time was very shamed and, and, you know, she'll be fine. She'll grow out of it. It's a phase, right. you know, all right. those kinds of things. And, yeah. um, you know, and just, just the money spent on, you know, boxed, you know, meals yeah. so I can control the calories and the exercise equipment and, and everything like that, you know, just kind of, Everything was just getting out of control, from a financial, from an interpersonal, from you know, just um, in my emotional well-being, physical well-being. All of it was impacted at that time. And I remember because within my eating disorder, I had uh, episodes where I would binge as well. That's where you take in lots of food and you just can't stop yourself. And then, of course, the result is that you restrict from there. And so um, I had episodes of like that at times, and, and so. I remember one of my last so-called binges, if you will, was something where I was at a friend's party and we had been drinking and I binged. And I remember the next day, I completely starved myself the entire day. And I remember this feeling again, very vividly, just like the first day it started. Right. I remember the last day, not to say that it was completely over, but it was the last day that I said, I need to get help. I was sitting in my bedroom at home Mm. and this was the day that I had starved myself the whole day. I sat up against my closet doors, which were mirror doors at the time. And I felt like that feeling of, if you ever saw the, um, that movie, um, ET where Elliot was dying with ET. I felt like that. And I remember that distinctly telling myself, like, I feel like I'm dying right now. And I remember, um, I think I had like 200 calories that day. It was a can of healthy choice soup. Mm -hmm. Isn't that crazy? I remember all that detail, which this was years ago. And I said to myself, I'm either going to end my life or I'm going to tell tell my mom I need help. So I contemplated suicide that day. Mm -hmm. And I knew to myself, this is not the solution. You have greater things to do in this life and you cannot go out like this. And so I remember then going to my mom and telling her I need help. And she helped. So at that point, she got me help. We went to a psychiatrist. Um, and then from there, he referred me to a psychologist. And I was able to do a lot of my treatment outpatient, which was great. Um, I was able to respond to it well. Now I had a combination of medication and uh, psychotherapy at that time. And although the medication helped, you know. I really gained a lot more with the psych, you know, psychotherapy that I was uh, going through because what I found in my times, because since then has things ebbed and flow? Absolutely. Right. I feel like I've been in full recovery now for probably 15 to 20 years. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, But between that day and you know, until I was about 25 years old, it ebbed and flowed, right? I was never as sick as I was. I never got down to the weight that I did. I was never in that mental health headspace as as I was before. But my OCD ebbed and flowed. Um, Aspects of my eating disorder always came in. And I always feel like you're not fully cured of it. It's, you're in recovery, right? And it's something where you need to every day make a conscious choice to not practice in that, because meaning that not practicing your eating disorder or your OCD type symptoms. Um, And, you know, with that, you know, I was able to really gain a lot more traction with my life using coping tools. And that's what really drove me when I was going into um, college I said, you know, I think I want to be a psychologist. I think I want to give back because these coping tools are what really have saved my life. Yeah. And so as it evolved and I was going through grad school and things like that, and then having graduated, I was able to do that. And in my first half of my career, working with people with mental health challenges, I was able to give back in terms of educating people on all kinds of non-drug therapies that can really help them. And then it's not to say that there isn't a place for medication because there is, but it only can take you so far. You have to do the rest of the work. And I remember that one being told to me and me telling so many patients of mine over the years, and it's true. And then when I decided to transition to the dementia uh, dementia field, for me, it was, I can do this on that side too, giving caregivers all kinds of non-drug tools because knowing senior living and having worked in senior living for 12 years, there's an overuse of medication with people living with dementia. And again, not to say there's not a place, but it's, it's way overutilized. And so I said, we've got to use our hands and our heart because there is a place for this here. And that has been my mission ever since I moved into the dementia care field.
0: And I I love how even earlier you said, even in your book, and I love going, thank you for letting us go down this journey. Because you said, you know, Mario, even though this podcast is called Unarmored Talk, you know, I'm providing some armor where folks are armed with the skills, the confidence and competency uh, to deal with life challenges um, as they come. And, and, And here you are. And I love how you mentioned the choice. You know, you know, which is relevant to the discussion framework, Doctor Stelter of this podcast, is emotions are natural to humans, but to think is a choice. And 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 if you think, you can improve the outcome of the situation. And thank goodness you did, because we mm-hmm. wouldn't have this wonderful doctor in front of us helping the world. Looking back at that journey, looking back, if you have to, if you had to pick one thing. One piece of advice to give anyone it could be parents it could be the actual person that's going through it a, a coach a teacher whatever what advice would you give to the viewers and listeners
1: yes certainly i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of play off of what you said in this this stay on the topic of choice okay
0: yeah
1: you know if you, know, you always say to yourself like if i could go back knowing what I know now, I wish that I could, right? <laughs> and and what I wish is I wish I knew how the brain worked back then. Mm. How our thought process works specifically, right? Is that I have learned, of course, in school, being educated, and then, of course, educating so many people, no matter of their diagnosis, on how we think makes a huge difference. And although there's such dark times that we feel like we have no control over it, we do have control over it. And we have to understand that, and, and this is kind of coming from a cognitive behavioral kind of standpoint, which is one of the many kinds of frameworks that I come from, is it's understanding that, you know, to your point, the way that we think is what influences how we feel. And how we feel is what influences our actions. And so what, where do we start here is we start with how we think, right? And we need to understand and analyze the way that we think, right? And simply, I know analyze is a kind of a big word and it can be scary. It's just basically think about what you're thinking, <laughs> list out your thoughts or, you know, either write them down or you can think about them in your head, stop and reflect on them and say, are these thoughts rational? Are they productive for me? are they, are they positive? Because if they're, they're the opposite of these things, you need to change them, right? So if they're negative, if they're unproductive, if they're irrational, saying to yourself, okay, let me take a step back. What's another way I can look at this, right? What's another perspective? And if you can't gain that, you know, that is what therapy is for. That is what other, you know, friends and family might be able to give you a different perspective on, right? Now, what's great about therapy is that it's a, of course it's non-judgmental right it's it's, a, it's someone who's not invested so much into your life they can take a step back and see maybe a better picture but it's it's understanding that you do have the ability to change what you're thinking so you can influence more positive and productive emotions and of course then more positive and productive actions right so i wish i knew that then because i was so stuck in my mind thinking the things that i thought i thought this was all true right and that just it just tore away my self-esteem and my confidence, right? And so I wish I can go back and tell my child self, it's going to be okay, just think differently. And I use the word just lightly because I know sometimes that can be invalidating, but it's not meant to be. It's meant to be that it can be that simple, right? And so that's something I wish I can go back and tell myself to say, just look at the way you're thinking, change it it's possible. And there's tons of books on it, of course, you know. (laughs) Um, And so that's, that's what I wish I could do.
0: No, and you have a fan here. But thank you so much. I know, you know, I don't want to take up too much more of your time as you're, you're doing what you're passionate about doing. And that's helping people, um, with life challenges. But thank you so much. And thanks to your mother. Right? Mm -hmm. You made that wonderful, amazing, thoughtful choice, not, not to end your life. And to, to ask for help, and thank mm-hmm. you to your mother. Please tell her we said hello. Yes. That you know, and, and and we're thankful that we still have Dr. Stelter here in the world mm-hmm. making a difference. I truly appreciate you, and from my wife and I, which we are Team on Unarmored Dog Podcast, we salute you and thank you, Dr. Stelter.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I was, it's, I'm very grateful to be able to share my story, and I hope it does help others.
0: Now, same, same here. Well, ladies and gentlemen, everyone. Um, This is it for this episode. We will see you guys, or you can hear us, in uh, the next couple of weeks, if you will. But until then, you guys know the deal. Be safe. God bless you all. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this most recent episode. And remember, you can listen and watch all of the previous episodes on my youtube channel the best way to connect to me and all of my social media is follow me on the parade deck that is www.paradedeck.com or you can click on the link in the show notes i'll see you guys soon